Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to the to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out where your next piece of bread, however encrusted uh, and and wet, and um, you know, where where did you find this, Trav? Hey, don't look at me. I'm allergic to mold. I didn't pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> this week on Gaming on the Frontier, we are Heading out into the wasteland, well, you know, whatever wasteland that might be, we are doing post-apocalyptic gaming. And just, that would be because some biohazard, you know, bees are getting killed by pesticides or something happens and just, yeah, that's another way to... Yeah, you you go in, uh, because you use things like pesticides and other things, you get some form of mold that becomes, you know, you know, resistant enough that the bees' own natural defenses aren't able to protect them from it anymore, and they come down with some kind of, you know, degenerative effect on yeah. their own bodies because of something that previously they've been able to fight off with no trouble at all. Like a, It'd be like a bad cold, and suddenly now it's Captain Trips. Yeah. Now, right. would that be so, Captain Trips as in Jerry Garcia or Captain Trips as, the wild, as in the Wild Cards character? No, Captain Trips as in The Stand. Okay, oh, God. Oh, man. That, okay, there was a third one. Okay. Um, see, I know the only the other two, Wild Cards, the character, and then Captain Trips, the late Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. Okay. Right. I think the, the one with the Wild Card is probably, you know, in some ways inspired by the Stephen King novel. Oh, okay. Well, um... Because this it's been out. Well, both of them have been out a very long time. Oh, yeah. I don't Wild know which Cards would be came first. out in like the eighties, yeah. And, uh, Captain, so and so and so does the stand. Yeah, so Captain I don't know. Trips, Mark Meadows, biochemist, ingested different powers, became different superheroes. Right. I believe him as Mark Meadows was Captain Trips because he was sort of the peace loving hippie, even up until the eighties and nineties, and just grooving along. And yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, there was something else about... Oh, I need to say this real quick because I know someone is listening. Fur, honey is bee vomit. Don't tell your kids this. Okay, had to get that out of my system. Let's continue. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Well, because that's... That's... Well, well, the thing is, her... And I'll say it real quick. Her daughter, Alexis, loves honey. And I've been you know, giving her that look like, I'll tell her. I'll tell her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, it's it's, uh, it's 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 if you look under Captain Trips in Wikipedia, you find all three of those references you just mentioned. Okay, all right. Uh, so they're all basically valid. Okay. Okay. Now, where it gets real fun is where the biohazard is because of some mutation or alteration or intro uh, of existing species or. Uh, introduction of a new species oh, or species. Bruce, I can't believe I, I messed this up. 
a fourth post-apocalyptic game by Palladium Books after the bomb, talking about mutated animals. Uh huh. Can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, right. that exactly. That it's due to radiation and biochemical things that animals have evolved into almost some of them almost perfectly human form. They might have been mutated from a pig, but other than being you know fat and the ears are gone, the snout are, you know I might have you know a bit of a pushed up nose. He looks like ninety nine percent human. Yeah, that's another one. I can't believe I forgot that one. But yeah, with with. Cha agents changing animals and making them into new forms. Yes, that's another one. Right. So, uh, and the and, and there's uh, and when you were mentioning about uh, the, uh, uh, the the Fringery world, uh, where they had the disease that affected humans negatively, making them you know, uh, feral and stuff. It also had the opposite reaction for some of the lower species. Oh, yeah. Rogue Force 17 and, did have some a chance to play right. an intelligent animal. Yes. Right. You know, uh, and so, so, like, raccoons and chimpanzees and other types of things became as smart as humans and uh, became aggressive, aggressive packs of them. And having just spent a weekend in Cumberland Island, let me tell you that the... Uh, the the uh, raccoons are not afraid of us. <laughs> well, no. Um, I went to a museum years ago, and I want to say it was the Ontario Science Center. So this was fifth grade for me, folks. And like I said, I just turned 50 today. As matter of fact, in about less than 45 minutes will be my time of birth. So, yeah, this was a long time ago. And I remember the various types of environments of animals. And one of the animals' environments that they listed was urban as in animals that were in the wild that have totally adapted to living in cities. We are talking rats, seagulls, uh, raccoons, because they, these three animals have all learned to live by scavenging off of our waste. That's why you see a lot of raccoons in trash cans. And sure. Yes, cue Possums. The, yes. Cue the scene from the great outdoors with the raccoons talking to each other about what hot dogs are made of. Um, oh, you've seen that one. You know of what I speak. Okay, no, but, I haven't, but it sounds funny. Well, the, I mean, they're chittering and the raccoons are, you know, oh, I found this hot dog. And he says, well, you know what hot dogs are made from? Lips and <clears throat> rectums, but they did not say that word. Okay. Yeah, so it's this whole scene, with, but it's the two raccoons on top of a trash can in the cabin where John Candy and Dan Aykroyd and Annette Benning are all at and they're staying with their kids. And, but oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That movie, yes. No, I've seen that movie. I yeah, just don't yeah, remember yeah. this thing. I don't remember talking. this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but and yeah. the bear so, the bear that kept making the appearance. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> but so yeah, so animals can get smarter, okay, and therefore compete with humans. Yeah. Because the humans of course having gone through, you know, uh not expecting animals to be coordinated and, and you know, and, and, and they think they're going to be easily frightened and such, suddenly find themselves at a disadvantage. Or because you have them, Or you have them create, have, you know, do the mutation, whatever, the mutagenic agent. Yeah. They form hive minds. So you've got swarms of rats all acting as one, or swarms of bees or birds or whatever. Yeah. Right. Well, they don't have to go all the way to a hive mind. Just the fact that if, if, for example, they learn to follow a few cues, you know, like like birds will sound, 
make certain sounds that oh, yeah, are seagulls, alarm they, sounds. They that, yeah, yeah, the seagulls and, make that, that scream. I worked at a metro park for three summers, 90 through 92. I had to deal with seagulls constantly because, you know, people in the park leaving trash. So, yeah, they make that scream, and within 10, 15 minutes, you got seagulls very far inland, and they're all coming out of there, and you got to clean them up and get it out of there before, you know, you get, you know, you end up like, you know, Tippy Hedron. Right. Alfred Hitchcock reference, folks. But, sure. Yeah. So, the birds. Yeah. The so movie The Birds. The, 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 the whole thing with animals making noises that make cues for other animals, the seagulls are a perfect example. Or, as we called them in the park, winged rats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I'm just saying, if they can coordinate themselves in any way, you know, there's an amazing number of them. And insects are even worse. There are literally well, there already have hive minds, so they're you know bees. But not ants. all of them do. Eh, not bees all of them and do. Ants are kind of the two that, if they yes. don't, they come pretty damn close. Right. But for example, locust swarms. Uh, there are swarms of caterpillars. They can literally denude everything in front of them. Oh yeah. Uh, there are, uh, you know, there are various worms that actually have stingers on them and such. So uh, I'm getting just a, saying, I'm if a they creepy crawly feeling already. Just yeah. It, 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 if any of these things can start acting in concert with each other, they become enormously more effective. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, but also there's the other side, which is you know almost uh, all domesticated animals. I should say almost all domesticated animals come from wild versions of them. Let's say that, you know, some biological agent causes that junk DNA not to be actually junk DNA, but ancient DNA, you know, and so they become more feral, more bigger. Uh, dire animals, more, basically. More, an from, more armored, yeah, more basic, just basically bigger dire. teeth dire animals from the bestiary monster manuals insert yeah, those I mean, into a post-apocalyptic environment and you got it yeah i mean you don't have to go ridiculously sized like you know answer no, no, usually, no, Bruce, size of people yeah bruce if you see you know if you look through the monster manuals in the bestiaries for anything ogl they're usually just maybe one size larger so like yeah. a large bear might be huge a medium animal might be large but they've right. got you know, like the dire bear might have like the bony outgrowths out of the shoulder and the claws are bigger and the teeth right. are bigger. Yeah. And you could just right. chalk that up to a, a biohazard. Some mutagenic agent mutated them into more primal forms. Exactly. You know, and, and, and you know, we always like to talk about, oh, you know, look at the cute little kitty cats, you know, and the ones we have in our houses and such. The only reason that those things are not dangerous it's because we're so much bigger than they are. You don't. You only have to go up really, as you say, like one size class. Something like a mountain lion. That's not a very large cat, but it'll kill you. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, matter of fact, my my one of my former gamers, one of my playtesters for Bureau Thirteen D Twenty, Steve Day, he's got a twenty-four pound part Maine Coon cat named Casper. This is one of the biggest cats I've ever seen. Because a Maine Coon, if any of you have ever seen a Maine Coon cat, these are not small cats. They are, no. they would be, I mean, I think they might still be considered in the, you know, I use OGL parlance, you know, all know this, the tiny category. I'd say they're small. <laughs> well, they're in the small pounds. category. 
and, 20, and, and um that would be i think 100 to 200 so yeah i think we're we're medium we fall in the 100 to 200 category okay well small would be 50 to 100 so yeah maybe yeah. tiny still but still yeah. for a cat it's big you look at a normal tab and you look at a Maine Coon, that Maine Coon's going to be like one and a half times the size of it. Right. And so you get that. Yeah, that 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 small size cat could still, you know. I'm, I'm really trying to bite my lip about Captain Marvel, folks. I mean, you all know Goose is in don't, it. Don't, don't tell me anything. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, but, you know, cats, sure, okay. Dogs are, are even more dangerous. Well, yeah, because, because they're hey, descended from wolves. And but have you ever seen? I mean, if you if you see a dog next to a wolf, okay, most dogs are bigger than wolves. We've yeah. improved them. We've made them stronger, faster. Oh no, no, you gen. Oh no, the humans. Humans, we have done wonderful things with dogs and cats, and and you know because we've bred them for various needs throughout the world. Yeah. I mean, a pit bull would laugh at a wolf, okay? And they're pack animals. So, of course, you know, with a strong leader, you know, especially one that's smarter. Quote, unquote, you've got, alpha male, yeah. You've got, you've got some, you've got now a, a, a biological assault group that could easily take down, you know, anybody who doesn't have really, have really decent weapons. Oh, no, no. Wolves in packs. Are, are dangerous. That's why. I mean, one. Oh, wolf, they're very dangerous. One, one wolf. Eh, fine. It's got the bite. It can drag you down. You get a pack of about eight wolves. Yeah, you better have that aforementioned good weaponry. Yeah, I mean, as in uh, hit it before it gets to you. A pack of eight wolves will still not attack a an elk unless the elk is injured. Right. Yeah. They'll, in which case they, they will. Well, that's what wolves do. They go after. Right. They what is it? Um, and, and if you, any of you have read the comic strip, uh, Kevin and Kel, it's anthropomorphic animals. I believe one is like the husband is a, a carnivore and the wife is a herbivore and they're married. So you deal with the running jokes about, well, what'd your buddy go out and do? what do he get arrested for? Oh, he was calling the herd. Basically taking out the old, the young, the sick, the infirm, the lame. And you take them yeah. out of the pack because you know, they can't keep up. Right. So, and they and and can you imagine if the if the animals started thinking they were smarter than us and they needed to call us to improve us? Yeah, you know, I like this whole scent thing, but you know, I I want better eyes. I mean, I I want pretty blue eyes. Can you work that out for me? Well, you know. <laughs> right. So they say they can become more feral, get more smart. You know, uh, and then and that's not even talking about. You know, a little a little television show that they had, uh, which of course now that I'm trying to think of it, I can't say it. Uh, uh, but uh, where basically aliens showed up and decided to terraform the planet by dropping their species of animals and plants onto our world, and all of a sudden, Defiance was the TV series. Oh, okay. And or we just, could call or we could call that settling Australia. Yeah, and Same just thing. and just I mean there were just totally terraformed the the planet because these species were far more aggressive and competitive than our own. And we humans had to deal with, you know, with these things that we weren't even sure we could eat them or if they were going to eat us. <laughs> or what's that phrase? If it 
if it bites you and you get sick, it's venomous. If you bite it, you get sick, it's poisonous. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a meme that came out last year. I saw that. Oh, uh, okay. Like, All right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so you are leading into the third point here. Aggressive species are introduced in disastrous ways, such as the aforementioned right. series. And, now, and which also, cut, you know, with a callback to the zombies, because they are definitely an aggressive species that gets introduced. So you know, a lot of people see zombies as, you know, because they're, they're, they're not smart, they see them basically as human animals. Yeah. Animal, you know, so, uh, and, and therefore they become a threat, just like um, a, ra a rat, rabid pack of wolves would be. Okay, let's and, see. Uh, Ooh, here's a real good example of an aggressive species you're introduced in disastrous ways. Thanos' Outriders from Infinity War, those those space dogs attacking Wakanda. That's a okay. real good example of what happens when an aggressive species is introduced in a disastrous way. When you have 40-story 40, 40 uh, tall dropships slam into your landscape and then just release all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Huh? Yeah, sure. You know, or the pod creatures that were, uh, you know, in, in the invasion of the puppet mask. Not baby puppet. The invasion snatchers. of the body snatchers, right? The pods. Oh you yeah. Know, now they 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 didn't they only had people showing up in those pods, but there was a couple movies that actually played with the idea that maybe even dogs could be replaced by pods. So you know you or you you have you know things where like I said they they just take existing material, they kind of bring it in and they make it their own and then they release it back out again. So there's all kinds of of uh, bio uh, uh, genetic material changes that could occur, if it, especially if it's done purposefully. In the case of alien invasion. Yeah, I um, yeah, yeah because Bruce and I talked about this. Aggressive species are introduced in disastrous ways. I mean, this could also not so much biohazard, but it could be. And these and the main thing I use for my games for anything I run that's post-apocalyptic. From D20 Modern, the, their D20 Apocalypse um, supplement. Wizards put it out, gosh, probably 10 years ago now. And, yeah, 2005. Oh, God, 14 years ago. But they had several different types of invasions, and they brought in Alien, Supernatural, Rise of the Machines. All three of those could be aggressive species are introduced in disastrous ways. And you even have Judgment Day where, okay, like, you have Alien Invasion, just straight up aliens from another or even from just another planet you could have them oh we'll use the haven city of bronze setting by lewis j porter you had the calm peaceful venusians and then you had the cronins who were from europa and the cronins are basically that setting's klingons for lack of a better term so yeah they they could be from just another planet within the system then you have supernatural stuff like the Maze World campaign that Perky Goth and I made where just after a while supernatural creatures come back. Dragons, orcs, elves, dwarves, um, unicorns, pegasi, griffins, all that stuff. Then you have the Rise of Machines. Some form of AI and robots directed by that AI. The Matrix, Terminator, um, let's see, what other movies or series have that type of thing? Those are two that come to mind. And then the fourth one, Aggressive Species, and it was in D20 Apocalypse, Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. Heaven and hell duke it out on Earth. Now, you could have things like, oh, God, Steve Jackson Games. 
Inominate. And yes, you all have permission to do 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 after you hear that. Where it's basically angels and demons are fighting on Earth. Now, it's modern day and it's, you know, kind of in the background. But you could have a post-apocalyptic um, setting where angels and demons have just come to Earth and ravaged the planet. And you might have a rapture-like game from Holistic Games where the rapture took up those who were quote-unquote worthy. And the rest of humanity now has to deal with Okay, 90% of humanity is gone. What do we do? Uh, oh, gosh. And the star of it just passed away recently. Luke Perry. Jeremiah. Where oh, the, yeah. Yeah, where all the children is. That's another Judgment Day post-apocalypse where all the kids are gone. All the adults are gone. Or all the adults are gone. So you got young people now running the planet because that's all that's right. left. And, 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 and that, the, the Star Trek episode, Miri. Original series? Yes. Okay, all right. Classic Trek. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mentioned that you know Luke Perry having passed away about a week ago, and uh -huh. that was another one that that's supernatural based, post-apocalyptic. But yeah, aggressive species introduced in disastrous ways, alien, magical, heaven, hell, and machines. That would all count as number three, even though it was put under biohazard on one of the classic Bruce Shepard outlines that we work from. <laughs> it kind of oh no well no yeah i mean i make my own once in a while but yeah you pretty much have got that down to both a science and an art sir um those are different ways that it grew species and they may not be due to biohazard it's just those are other examples of non-human species coming in and ruining the earth where most of the population is taken out and the remainder is left to survive and eat right. out in existence and possibly even beat back the aggressive species of course if you have animals getting more feral or animals getting smarter and teaming up against humanity, yeah, then you might have to fight them off too. Where just you, because, you know, humanity's... Oh, God, duh. Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Duh. And we're talking even the new, you know... Um, not The just, newest version. Well, the yeah. newest versions with, you know, Andy Serkis as Caesar. Yes. No, we're talking... I'm, I'm talking old school right out of Pierre Bujold's book with, you know, Roddy McDowell and Charlton Heston, you know. Right. Dr. Zayas and Galen, you know, and that, that's how far back he and I, you know, Bruce and I go. Sure. Hey, I, man, I had the action figures, you know. I uh, saw it in the theater. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Damn dirty <laughs> apes, you blew us all to hell, yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I can do, you know, I can't get the time back for the Mark Wahlberg version, though, just saying. Um, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Well, they did have one line that was pretty good. We're going to go teach it... the apes about evolution. That was no, the laugh no. out loud moment of the movie, yeah. No, to me, the, laugh, the obvious laugh out loud moment for me was when they were talking about you know, this young couple wanted to go and get a, a human pet for their child. He says, okay, that's fine. And they're saying, that's fine, but make sure that when they get to be about 10 years old, that you send them back because nobody wants a human was a human teenager in the, their household. <laughs> See, and I, I everybody, think... and, I, and as looking around the, the theater and looking at all the nods that were coming from parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let's see. When I saw that, my daughter was preteen. Yeah, that didn't hit me. I look back now, it's funny. No, the one that got me was we're going to go teach the apes about evolution. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically the yeah, Planet of the Apes. I can't believe we we're just coming up with all these ones. We're like, oh my God, there's this and this and this. 
it makes you realize just how many stories could be considered post-apocalyptic in one way or another. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why we had to start off with a definition. Yeah. It wasn't just oh, yeah. a little, little thing. It had to be something that literally transformed the world for us to consider that in this in this talk right here. You know, those. I, I'm sure that you could argue that some things could be smaller. You know, but you know, like the whole um, uh, 26 days later, that was only in later, England. Yeah. 28 days. It was only in England. You know, until the second one where they got through to the spoilers, got through to the European continent. But even then, everyone I talked to is like. No, they, they, there would be defenses. They'd get, they'd mow them down, firestorm them. They'd do something. They would not get any further than the, than the entrance of the channel. <laughs> it just would not happen. So would you say that in order to stop that, it would be the, the, the judicious use of a patented Bruce Sheffer fuel air explosive? <laughs> yes. There yes. you go. See, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I just think that, you know, in a modern society, they just set up a whole bunch of, uh, you know, perimeter chain guns and such. And oh, yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's no reason why people have to be involved in this equation. Just anything that comes out of the hole gets shot. Yeah. You know, they don't, you know, robots don't sleep. You know? Yeah. Just like zombies don't sleep, you yeah. know. All right, so uh, let's move on to uh, Dungeon World, okay? <laughs> because there's an there's been a lot of those. And as a matter of fact, there's a whole RPG game called Dungeon World. Uh, where, actually, uh, two of them. Yeah. Well, there was the one that is out now, and there was one with, the main book and two others by the late lamented company Fast Forward Entertainment. It was a 3.0 book, also called Dungeon World. And th no, this first one, if you get it, folks, I'm a huge Philip Jose Farmer fan. I love Riverworld. I love the World of Tears series. I, I dabbled in Dayworld a little bit. But basically, this original Dungeon World game is a mix of Riverworld and The Dungeon, the anthology series that Farmer did in his, like, last 10 years of life. But, yeah, basically, it's where natural and man-made tunnels combine. Heck, technically, The Matrix would be considered this in this category as well. Yeah, well, definitely, uh, and once they, they, they become aware, sure. Yeah, because you know it's 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 essentially the surface is gone. You can't you can't live there, or it's just too darn dangerous. But somehow people are able to live underground. You know, either there's you know natural springs that are hot water, and they they allow fungus to grow on the walls, and you have you know uh, natural bioluminescence going on. But you know, or there's there's a, an already existing ecosystem that that basically you know operates the the other version of it is like again where they're just surviving off the remains of civilization and they're literally if they're you know no matter where you are you're you're trying to drill through to some other place that might have supplies some other bunker or some other mine and then of course you have to go over there and take it from them but we'll get to that <laughs> okay, I, I have two examples for a dungeon world. Uh, one is a campaign of mine, and one is another D20 supplement. The campaign of mine was, I mentioned it before, the Star Wars campaign where the characters were on a post-apocalyptic world, but the apocalypse happened millennia ago, so it was a background thing, and the society had rebuilt. Now, what I had was, this was a high-tech world. Now, I'm going to get a little bit into Star Wars Legends here, the stuff that is now considered by Disney secondary canon, but here it goes. The L.I., which were like light blue-skinned humanoids, 
settled in a world with others, and so they made these massive underground malls for, you know, commerce and whatnot. The LI didn't like the fact that the, 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 the Republic was taxing them, so the Republic bought the planet and left it behind. Everybody was underground, so the society that formed underground was of, you know, some Corellians and some the, the, the Asian versions, the Chalactans and the Epicanthics, and the LI lived underground in these societies, and they basically... I mean, these were underground megalopoli, so hundreds of hundreds of miles where you had like, oh, the north concourses of this culture and the south concourses of this culture, but they all were in this dungeon world of this incredible megalopolis mega mall. So, and I use that as part of this indigenous world that the other Star Wars characters came to basically a slicer and a bounty hunter and they met up with and i made them as D, &D characters the above crown characters and then they met this whole underground society where yes our leader lives up on the top floor and you see that we have you know reconstructed the lift that rises us to his level and you can watch as you go up and leave the lower people behind you know the glass-lined elevator at the mall and so this this whole society revolved around this ancient high-tech mall let's see the other dungeon thing and i'm blanking now and that okay that'll be good for now i'll probably come back to the other one later but that was my example of a dungeon-based world post-apocalyptic society where they were recovering after twenty thousand years of basically the surface world getting blown to smithereens and so they just adapted their culture to this mega mall. Mm -hmm. As I said, I, I got off track. I'll probably remember the other one later. But um, yeah, now the, there's a video game uh, series which is called Metro, which takes place in the uh, um, subway tunnels in Moscow, uh, and which are very deep. I mean, uh, uh, when we I went to Russia, you know, we had some people that actually had to. Uh, got, take the subway at one point, and they were like, "You just keep going down, 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 down." They were originally supposed to be, you know, like bomb shelters, so they just built ah, all their, gotcha. their subways way down there just in case. And uh, so, people in the series, people are little living down there away from the nuclear radiation and also the the nuclear winter. Uh, in the series, you do have to, on occasion, go up on the surface where the air is toxic. And such, you have to wear a gas mask. But most of the time, you sp spend your time down underneath uh, fighting against other subterranean factions and uh, trying to get resources and things like that. Uh, the you know, uh, I I've actually haven't played the game, though I've seen it a lot of it, some of it on YouTube, yeah. and uh, it's that that's a to me a very good example of a dungeon type world where you know it's not you know it's not medieval D&D kind of thing remember you know? I, I remembered two others examples the first one is one i just remembered it was from a, a small lit company and they put out quite a few things and they started go, rolling into the 4e rules the company's name is fruit loops but it was spelled f r u g h t l u p e s but it was pronounced like the cereal and they did a a, a far future campaign called Center Space. Now, it's about these ghoul-like slugs known as the Thahazi, masters of biotech. They would, they basically were out in space and they, you know, they were encroaching, encroaching, and they were looking for the Center Space, this device that, when unlocked, 
and the Fahazi had the key, but they didn't know where the locked energy portal was. It was an Earth under, like, the Navajo lands. So Earth is past all its corporate wars and everything, and they're, pat, you know, they're starting to unite together. And all of a sudden, this Fahazi takes over a human, has the key, and opens it up, and it just totally alters the ecosystem. Well, the Fahazi, they have these giant Earth-eating, you know, like, tremors-type worms that just eat out hundreds of miles of rock. And so... But the Hazi have their underground complexes and they've merged with human human tunnels like old sewer systems and old subway systems, plus just natural rock formations like, you know, Carlsbad Caverns. So that's another example of a dungeon world where you could get lost in these old Fahazi tunnels. And a lot of, um, there was a human offshoot called the Pank that they, that was their world because that's what they were raised in when the Fahazi mutated them, the early Pank. And after a while, their society, after 300 years, we're down here. This is our land. You humans can try to stay up there, but the Fahazi have even altered how the continents look. If uh -huh. you look at a map in the center space game, which, you know, it's on onebookshelf.com, you can get these. Um, and I've used them. I, it's a wonderful system. It's a little bit different, but, I mean, you can adapt it to normal stuff. And the mutagenic agents that the Fahazi did when unlocking the center space, it altered the ecosystem. The continents are different. Europe and Asia are now separate continents again. I mean, just tectonic level stuff. But these underground tunnels that the Fahazi made and connected with all the human-made stuff go for thousands of miles. You could technically go from what was New York all the way to what was L.A. through these tunnels if you knew your way. It would still take you months to get through. But this, the center space would be another perfect example of this dungeon world because the surface, the ecosystem is just too dangerous. You've got things out there that the Fahazi biotech made and just humans are in locked enclaves. They are just, no, we're not going out. Don't open the door. Don't look out the window. Get the guns ready. You know, we can go underground. Oh, great. The panker there. So, yeah, that was the other dungeon world that I was trying to remember, that, that particular uh, OGL game. But, yeah, that would probably be another good example of you have to abandon the surface and just dig deep. So, mm -hmm. I, I knew I'd get back to it. Uh, <laughs> remember it's not a it's not a walk down memory lane for me now especially again since i just turned 50 it's a 5k fun run hey look number six ice world <laughs> now this one goes back to the um gargantia on the virtuous earth where earth due to whatever ecological problem froze over and that was why the galactic humanity left earth and became the galactic alliance and then leto the main character comes back and finds the water all melted and it was now like a water world but yeah, Ice World, basically, from what I gather, that would be, like, due to maybe a nuclear winter. Asteroid either strike. The, either from yeah. a nuclear strike or from um, Yellowstone, a caldera, a super, a super volcano. Right. Because we all, folks, we all know if yellow, it, it's a super caldera. It's kind of like a crater and there's a volcano. It, it's not one of the mountain volcanoes. They're like Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines or Mount St. Helens in Washington State. Yeah. It, it's it's hundreds of feet below, hundreds and hundreds of feet below the surface. But pretty much, and that's where we get the geysers like Old Faithful and all that. But we all know now, Yellowstone goes, North America's gone. Either from just direct boom or the nuclear winter that will come because the ash from this will just cool us down like 20, 30 degrees. It'll blanket at least half of the United States. Yes, easily. Yeah. I remember when Mount St. Helens and then later Mount Pinatubo went up. The ash got into the upper atmosphere and both of those years, the summer, and, and as I said, I'm from Detroit, folks, just shy of how summers can get down in Atlanta where Bruce is. Uh -huh. Except we have a little more humidity because yeah. you know, 
we're, we're not more than 80 minutes from a boatable surface of water. And I'm surrounded by four lakes, Michigan, mm-hmm. Superior, Huron, and, and uh, Erie. So, yeah, it yeah. was noticeably cooler those two years when Mount St. Helens erupted and then late, years later, Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines erupted. And the mm-hmm. ash was up in the atmosphere and it affected the United States that summer. So, yeah, if something like Yellowstone goes, that's a nuclear winter right there. I mean, they call it nuclear winter because of the ash from the bomb, but a volcano can do it just as easily. Right, because it also gets, if it gets high enough in the atmosphere, which it usually does, then it acts to, you know, keep the sunlight from reaching the planet. Yes. And, and that's, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. And, and, and let's be clear about this, okay? This isn't ash like comes from your campfire when you're burning wood. No, 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 no. Ash is basically, uh, from a volcano, is basically glass, glass shards. And you breathe it in, and it cuts your lungs. Oh, no, no, no. Um, uh, this past fall, John Ryer, our, our former you know, colleague who we miss dearly, uh, there was a lot of ash out there due to the California fires, and he's all of the pictures he had out there, yeah, here's the sky today. He's got a mask on. Yeah. And that's just a no, forest I- fire. But, yeah, but yeah. see, that ash is softer. That ash, you know, your body can actually deal with, okay? The kind of ash we're talking about from volcanic action is much, much, much more dangerous to breathe in. So well, I, I think since we've known him, and, I, and I've and i known him for at least 15 years now. Um, I know you've known him far longer, obviously. But yes. there was volcanoes acting up in the time I've known him, and he's had to have the mask on to go outside. I remember him telling us this, like, you know, before yeah. we'd start taping old episodes. So, yeah, basically, so what, like ground, like like particles of quartz? Yeah, just think of it as a snowflake, but it's made out of glass. Ow. And I'm going to repeat for those of you who in the back. Ow. Or really, or, or really, really fine sand. Yeah, okay, so basically you, sili- silica. Yeah, that you breathe in and, and basically it just sticks into your body and cuts. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you know, it's not to say you can't get any of it out. Your body can get some of it oh, out. Oh, you'll cough it. The problem it, is it'll rip you back on the way up, yeah. Right, right. But see, but the problem is if you have no, if you're not prepared for it, you know, see, most of the people that are going to die after something like this happens are going to die quickly and within the next 24 hours because they're going to be like, they're going to be breathing it and they'll be like, fine, and then all of a sudden the blood starts coming up and they're like, oh, no, what's wrong? You know, and they're still breathing. So they're still bringing it in, and then you know it's 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 a terrible way to die. So you know, uh, but Ice World back to you know yeah, the, uh, well, we were just going to another way of that happening is for if for some reason the um, sun decided to not produce quite as much energy as it is right now, it goes into a kind because of, we know that the sun goes through phases, goes through cycles, and it's possible it could go into a cycle that was less energetic. And so as a result, you know, just a slight decrease in the amount of solar radiation hitting the planet, and we are going to be thrown right into an ice age. So that, that can happen. Or um, another possibility is a dust cloud. Let's say a dust cloud fall, fl- flows into our solar system and gets between us and the sun. Also a possibility. And then, of course, there's always the, the alien invasion thing where they throw up something that's like, you know, that basically blocks the sun off, and we, we go into that. That was the basis of a book called Sunstrike, uh, where this scientist uh, actually uh, like uh, 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 had the same capability of putting things into orbit as Elon Musk, essentially put... Uh, uh, whatever that fabric is, it's like super dark 
It's like it's so black that you get no depth perception off of it. Benta Black is the name of it. Yeah, the Benta Black. Well, he basically had this, like, I don't know, about, you know, 10 miles across. And he just basically put it up, you know, uh, in between us and the sun. And it basically it just, and, and you know, uh, and Earth just very quickly started becoming colder and colder. And then people were, like, digging, trying to, you know, uh, dig holes in the mines and start creating uh, various places to try to survive. Uh, you know, because it, it took a little while. It didn't take, it took a, a few months for this really to, to kick in. I mean, plants will die within a month. You know, but the temperature is because of the latent heat that's in the ocean is going to take longer. But within a year, okay, things are pretty much frosted over, and within a couple of years, well, you know, it's it's all over. And of course, this guy was basically trying to, you know, get to a certain point where he was going to roll up his little his little thing and uh, uh, and then go back down to the planet and be, you know, since he was properly prepared for the world. Uh, I'm, uh, unfortunately, it's not a terribly good book, so I'm going to tell you that what, someone figures out what's going on, and then people just basically say, "Well, we you, you, since you're not the only person who has the ability to go in orbit, say hello to my ICBM," <laughs> and they basically just figure out the areas in and set off a lot of nukes over there, and basically takes care of them. Either that, or they send the Astro Marines. I forget, but basically they find them, they stop them, life go, things go back to normal. But it's a it's a bit of a thriller because you know while they're trying to figure out what's going on, the world is literally falling apart. Oh, okay. Because of the cold, people just don't. They have no hope. They don't know what's going on. The, the They don't trust the government. The government like it's okay. We'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Oh yeah, like oh, you figured God, it out. No, oh no, 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 <laughs> Bruce. There was a movie that came out a few years ago, and it was a Korean movie. But Chris Evans, shortly after he got involved in the MCU as Captain America. Yeah. Stormbreaker, Stormrider, and basically it was the last vestiges of humanity. They apparently made a train to try to move around and keep warm and, you know, try to find a place that, and basically it was the collapse of their little society on board this train. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Um, uh, ice, um, um, snow. It was Snow Piercer. That, thank you. Yes, Snowpiercer. That was that. There, that's another one of Ice Worlds. Yeah. That is a that is a crazy crazy movie. Uh, I I can't recommend that movie enough. But you gotta have a strong stomach. There are times in that movie that you're gonna go, oh man. But they didn't. But I'm glad they didn't pull any punches because you know they what they said made sense. Yeah. yeah Anyways, I I, I, that no, one I don't want to. Oh man, you should, It was on Netflix for quite a while. It may okay. still be there. Uh, I would recommend seeing it. Just, it's, it's like I said, but uh, you know, uh, it's, it's got some really crazy yeah. stuff in it. Gird myself before yes, getting played. Yes. yes. Okay. Don't. Uh, yeah. Don't. 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 Don't expect it to, to have a. Well, don't. 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 don't ex, you know, when things look bad, they're probably going to get worse. Okay. okay. Anyways. Uh, all right. All right. So. Uh, yeah. So uh, the idea behind this is, is that, you know, if something came and significantly hit the planet in just the right way with the right amount of English, we could, we, the, the saying goes, we could literally be knocked off of our axis. Okay. Uh, yes, the Hob Theory, the book that I have mentioned previously where it's actually the Earth is starting to spin very slowly like a top and it's going to keep winding down, winding down where our poles will be at an equatorial level. 
But yes, this is something much faster, much quicker. Yeah, and and so as because of that, you know, uh, it, it you get massive storms. You know, they just you know, uh, and 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 there's there's an, uh, another way it could happen, and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, this is this is you know because of this, you, you, the angle changes and these storms pick up because of the way that the the, the solar radiation is now hitting the planet. Another way is the idea of a super. A, um, a super hurricane. You see, hurricanes die because they run into land, and land doesn't give up its heat very easily to the storm. Yeah. So it, it runs out of energy and collapses into rainfall. Tropical after doing and whatnot. Yes. After doing its destruction. Now, if you were, if, if the water got warmer, it's one of those like you know uh, global warming concepts. If the water got warm enough, or the storm got big enough. Part of it was always in the water and kept feeding that heat yeah. from the water into itself. It could last forever. And now you have hurricanes with, you know, 150 to 200 mile an hour winds over like a quarter of the United States lasting forever. Why don't we just say the big red dot on Jupiter? Pretty much well, that. that. Well, that big red dot can basically absorb about 100 Earths. So. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's what uh, Jupiter, you know, as far as scale... That's it's a century. It's, yeah. it's a super hurricane on Jupiter, and it's centuries long. It's just still there. It's, it's got nothing to keep stop it. Yeah, I mean, it just keeps rotating, and it's getting energy from either from the depths or somewhere, and it just keeps going. And that and there's that's a very strong possibility. Uh, in that story I told you about our uh, flood, okay, at the end of it, because everything's up, everything is covered with water, the equator becomes basically hurricane, uh, hurricane path yeah hurricane alley yeah they basically you have one hurricane after another slowly rotating themselves around the planet which actually works out for the people that are smart enough to to survive because what they do is that they stay about you know the uh 10th uh 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 parallel is it or meridian what is it the the, the, the horizontal ones parallel the parallel about the 10th parallel and see where that is basically you're at the edge of the hurricanes and so you get a a, a very regular rainfall, which they then, it's the only fresh water they have. So they just collect it from the hurricane as it rains out of the hurricane and they're able to survive and they eat fish and stuff like that. That's how they survive. And, uh, and but they, they have to be very careful that they don't get too close to the hurricane because, you know, they would be dead. <laughs> it would kill them. There's this, they would never escape once they got in. Once you got caught by that thing. So, because uh, 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 they were all on rafts and such, you know, with sails. And so they, they had to be very careful out there, their, uh, you know, that they kept the proper distance. And it wasn't that hard to do anyways. It wasn't like you couldn't look over there and see that big gray wall that went up, you know, as far as the eye could see. You, you, got, you know, it didn't take long for the survivors who actually survived to be able to say, okay, this is good enough. We're getting, you know, we're getting rainfall uh, every so often, if we get really desperate for water, we'll get a little bit closer where there'll be a little bit more rainfall and then we'll back ourselves off. And it also provided a constant wind. So that also provide, uh, gave them, you know, the maneuverability they needed to move around. And they just followed, followed the hurricane around the planet, just kept rotating around the planet year after year. Of course, it took many years to go around the planet, but that was, that, that's a, a, a situation where, you know, hurricanes could last forever without having to do this, knock the planet off its, its kilter. You know. uh, day after tomorrow might be another good um, storm. Is that the one with the ice storm? 
Well, yeah. One, it's the super cold storm that comes from the Arctic. Yeah. Yeah. That could be considered another one, which would turn into an ice world. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if it kept moving, if it kept moving, you know, sure it could, you know, um, the, uh, the, those, you know, uh, I, I think that was a little bit more localized. It was more like, you know, United States basically, uh, and that's what they did in the, the reign of the fire kind of thing, um, where the, uh, the, um, Yellowstone went off is that they basically, they said, everyone just abandoned the United States and moved into, uh, Mexico. And they, and they and they got them to agree by uh, Mexico to accept all the, the people coming over by saying, okay, well, we're, it'll it'll make up for all the debt you owe us. So oh. yeah. because the idea was is that it would eventually you know settle down. It might take twenty years before people could live on the continental U United States because of the the ash. Yeah. But it would happen eventually. So, you know, the United States still considered itself to be a viable country, even though it was, you know, now operating. exile, yeah. It was now government in exile for a while, yeah. So, but yeah, it's, so, and of course, if you go to alien worlds, you could have one that's always been like that, you yeah. know, where they have massive storms and you have a whole ecology that's designed for it. Uh, there was one world that was in the, um, uh, the white um, uh, hospital ship stories where, uh, everybody was like a cylinder or a ball. All the life forms on the entire planet, and they just blew along. <laughs> they just they would blow into something they could eat. They take a bite out of it, and they blow into some water. They take a drink. They oh. blow into an, another member of their species, and they'd have happy time. Oh, okay. And everything was like that. And, and of course, you didn't have to worry about pollination of plants because the plants would bang into each other and and, and pollinate when that happened. So the entire world was basically tumbleweed world okay <laughs> and and they and, and and the story of course doesn't take place on the world it takes place on these poor this ship they, they somehow they're able to build a starship and they're and they, they they they're coming by and 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 they notice that there's the inside of the ship is rotating very rapidly and they're like well let's let let's, that's that's really dangerous let's stop the rotation <laughs> And as soon as they do that, all everything inside goes into immediate, you know, biological, you know, shock because they have no hearts. Every, you know, their 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 blood systems and stuff are all based on the idea that their blood vessels are getting compressed by them rolling over that blood vessel and just squirting it along. Uh. You know? so, so as soon as they stop the inside of the ship from turning, all of a sudden it's like everybody has a heart attack. So they they figure that out. You know, and they rotate it back up real quick, and everybody gets better. And then they have to send people in. You know, doing the, uh, you know, the ship rotating at the same time as the other ship is rotating, so they can they can mate up to them. But that's that's a, another story, as the saying goes. So yeah, but Storm World can be really really cool. Now, uh, Damnation Alley, especially the novel, the novelette uh, versus the the TV series, was totally that. They, uh, it, there was a, um, basically a jet stream about a hundred feet off the ground. Planes could not fly because they would just get ripped to bits. Okay. okay? And the storm fed on itself. So, uh, it would, what it would do is it, the tornadoes would pull stuff up into the storm and the storm would then sling it around. And then when big chunks of rocks and cars and cows and other things like that slap together, then, of course, it would it'd be enough of a change of inertia that 
it would fall. And then, so you'd be walking along and suddenly there would be a, a downspout of, of sheep that had gotten grabbed off of a mountainside somewhere. Why am I reminded of Twister? Cow. Yeah. Another yes. cow. Oh, wait, man. Everybody's the same one. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I mean, but mostly it was rocks. Mostly big boulders would drop down on top of you and do bad things to you. So, uh, and so every, the whole world was supposed to be like that. It was, and it was the result of nuclear war. You know, one of the ideas saying that we throw up all these bombs, put all this energy into our upper, our atmosphere. That stuff may not leave. That may just stay up there and it might go to a new level of activity and we'd end up with, you know, damnation alley yeah. uh, as, as a world. Okay. Uh, Death World 1 was actually, uh, it's the second part, the ecosystem gone wild, where uh, the entire world became slightly psionic. Oh. And, yeah. And, which was fine. I mean, they, they were able, the world itself was fine, but then humans came to the world and they, you know, tried to clear out the the native species and the native species react you know reacted saying there's a threat all right let's take let's work together you know plants and animals and everything else to go and get rid of this threat and and it was but it was also biogenetic because this this species the plants kept getting stronger and bigger and more aggressive and the animals kept getting stronger and bigger and the humans were like we need bigger guns they go out and get bigger guns and then of course there'll be another round of of uh, you know raising the stakes, constant fight- balance of uh, arms race, yeah, right. Till finally, at the end of the story, they literally have to flee the planet because the planet is literally Scott. You know, it's got a bounty out for every one of them. Yeah, but on the plus side, everybody who lived there at that point were basically supermen because they they from birth they had been they had to be able to have like super reflexes and and they were all expert shots and it, they were like the the most fearsome. Uh, you know, combat force in the, in the galaxy, and they were just co- and, and they were just miners. You know, they're like, well, what are you? We're just miners. <laughs> says, Two of you took out like an entire squad of guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> what? They, they were trying to take our world. What? Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to live in peace. Well, so, it kind of yeah. reminds me of Avatar, how the entire world was linked. You know. Yes. Plant life could hook up to the tails of the Navi and yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and they're all like that. Okay. And, uh, uh, and, but the the humans just couldn't get rid of their aggressive instincts. And so the, the, essentially the planet rejected them, but it did start that way. Originally it was just like, boy, we got these really nasty stinging insects and, and, and wow, you know, so I had a really bad, you know, reaction to that plant over there. I didn't think there were any toxic plants around. Well, there weren't, and and things just kept snowballing. So, so basically, it took about a- the body, the, the 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 ecosystem, which was basically, in a way, one big organism. Yeah, Gaia. Gaia yeah, basically, battle. it was a Gaia principle. Yeah, on yeah. on crack. Basically, yeah. just cranked to eleven. It's like okay, every facet of this natural environment. These humans are foreign matter. I'm going to build up antibodies to get rid of said foreign matter, i.e. boost the ecosystem. So it's a great book, the first one especially. There's three books uh, for those, those, those people and the main character who comes, who comes there basically as a refugee because they, they originally, he's a gambler. And they, they ask him to raise enough money so they could buy this really big shipment of weapons so they could go back and save their colony. 
And uh, but in so doing, he basically gets an entire world against it, the religious order that runs it. In fact, you know, uh, because nobody, you know, because nobody's supposed to win as big as he did. So, um, but they're they're able to basically put down the put put down the script saying I, we have this much money, it's drawn on the bank. Take you know, let's take our shipment, let's take the ship, let's get out of here, and they go back to the. And he has to go with them because he's if he gets caught, he's going to never see the sunlight again. Yeah. And he ends up being this normal human on this world where everybody else is like a superhuman just to survive the constant onslaught of, of the natural world around them. So, uh, and uh, he, he, he does go on to, uh, it's, it's a Harry Harrison novel. Okay. So he goes on to, he goes, and what he likes to do is he likes to have characters who are smarter, who are smart characters, you know. And so he ends up proving to these people that, you know, that A, he figures out why the planet is against them. And B, because uh, they don't know why this is happening. They just you know, know that they can't lose. Like, we'll, we will not lose. This is our world. This is our home. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, so he figures out what has to be done and finally convinces them to leave. And, and then they have to find a new world. And, of course, the world that they go to is pretty tough, too. So it's why it's Death World 2 and Death World 3. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's, he's the, he's the uh, becomes the leader because he's smart. In many ways, it's like how to, raise, uh, how to train your dragon. Okay. You know, if you like that series, that show, the animated series, because the the guy who becomes chief is basically the weakest but smartest of the bunch. I don't know if you've seen it. Not yet. No. No. Oh. Well. Okay. Um. It's it's good. Okay. You know, it's good. You know, it's got some great lines in it. Says, says, could you be a little bit less? You know, and he just waves his hand and he says, you just waved it all of me. <laughs> You know when they tell you, be yourself? Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Right. Okay, so, uh, and that's pretty much it, what we have for the different kinds of worlds. So, yes. this is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. Is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.